If you have your Bibles, and you should, turn with me to the 40th book of the Bible, first book of the New Testament, the Gospel according to Matthew. I'm going to begin at the very first verse, where it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And I don't know that I'll return to that verse or not, but that's something to keep in mind. When you're in a wilderness experience, a dark night of the soul, and Satan is tempting you, notice who it was that led Jesus. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward unhungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. I have this title that I shared with you in my email, Following Christ, Worshiping Satan which is, as you would expect, an oxymoron. You can't really have both. But inadvertently, Christians, real Christians, do this. And you might be one of them. You're following Christ, but without realizing it, glorifying Satan. I'll share this with you today. First, I want to point out <clears throat> that this is what Satan is looking for. The glory that belongs to God alone, he wants. Well, people want that too. But behind that is a satanic thought or ambition. When Jesus has shown all the kingdoms of the world, Satan says, I will give you all this here. All you need to do is to bow down, fall down in front of me and worship me. And that's when Jesus tells us that thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Following Jesus, worshiping Satan. There was a fighter back in the early part of the 20th century. He was a two-time welterweight champion at age 21, age 27. His name was Billy Smith. His nickname was Mysterious Bill Smith. There was also a writer who happened to be also an accomplished fighter, as well as an entrepreneur. His name was William Misner. Well, Misner and Billy Smith were friends, and one night they were out in San Francisco, and they started a fight in a bar where there were longshoremen. And so as the fight went on, Misner and Smith were doing pretty well. But at one point during this brawl, Misner was hitting this one longshoreman again and again and again and again, just making no impact on this man at all. And when Billy Smith saw what Misner was doing, he said, stop. He said, I knocked him out five minutes ago. He happened to be wedged in between two pieces of furniture and he was standing up, but he was out cold because of the punches from welterweight champion Billy Smith. It's pretty much a good analogy, I think, of Satan. Jesus says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world, and now is the prince of this world judged. He comes after me, he has nothing in me, and so on and so forth. We know this from reading the Bible, that Jesus has overcome the world, obtained the victory. Now we know this, we know this from reading it, but sometimes in our experience, the knowledge of what we know does not play out in our words, in our actions, and so on. Satan has his own form of Christianity. Let me give you an idea with some verses attached to it. 
Satan has his own trinity. We read that in Revelation 16, 13. He has the devil, the beast, and the false prophet. His own church called the synagogue of Satan in Revelation 2, 9. He has his own ministers, ministers of Satan, 2 Corinthians 11, verses 4 and 5. He has formulated his own system of theology, doctrines of devils in 1 Timothy 4, 1. He has established his own sacrificial system, which we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 21 cup of devils and the table of devils. His ministers proclaim his own gospel, Satan's gospel, a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you in Galatians 1 verses 7 and 8. He has his own throne. This is Satan. All of this is Satan. Revelation 13, 2 and his own worshipers in Revelation 13 and verse 4. So we see that Satan has developed a sort of imitation of Christianity And so we're warned in the scriptures about deception and we're warned about things that are called Christianity, but are not. That actually in the end is what I'm suggesting to you today is worshiping Satan, giving Satan the glory. Now, once again, we know that God alone is to receive the glory. We know that. But perhaps inadvertently you have been worshiping Satan And you're not falling down in front of a statue, some type of demonic figure, or doing things that are, you know, just uh, obscene. Even though I got to tell you that in my years as a pastor, we have had those people in our church. Satanists, I mean real Satanists, do show up to churches. In any case, I would say to you that your glorifying Satan is no doubt unintentional. But still... In many cases, he's getting the glory. So that's what I want to concentrate on this morning. Are you actually glorifying Satan, even if it's inadvertent and not intentioned? And I would submit to you that many people are. NOVA, which is part of the public broadcasting system, is a science channel. And it had, not that long ago, a um, one-hour documentary. And the title of it was, Who's Controlling Your Brain? And it talks a lot about subconscious drives, which are there. Things planted in our brain years and years ago for many of us who are older. And we don't realize that the way we're responding, and I'm going to say it to you, is for us a way of glorifying Satan. But we're unaware of it. So today I want to make you aware of it. Your desire, no doubt, is to glorify God. But sometimes your actions are glorifying Satan and would constitute, however unintentional, an act of worship. So the first thing that I want to share with you is if you want to give Satan the glory, number one, attribute to him all that belongs to God's nature and God's character, or just give to him the attributes that belong to God alone. Think of Satan as being everywhere present, omnipresent. Think of Satan as being all-knowing, that he knows everything about you. And he's everywhere that you go, he goes, and all of us here and billions of other people, he's always by everybody's side. Give to him all the attributes that belong to God alone, and you will be glorifying Satan with a great deception in your brain. Satan is not everywhere present, and he is not all-knowing. Or he has more knowledge than perhaps we understand, but he's not all-knowing like God. Attribute to Satan that he's all-powerful, all-powerful. Attribute to Satan that he's sovereign, that he's actually running the show here on earth. And though we know that he is the prince of this world, he is not running the show here on earth. God is. That's the first thing that you need to know if you want to, well, for you, I'd say unintentionally, worship Satan and give him the glory. Just transfer the attributes that belong only to God and transfer them to Satan. And there you have The glorification that Satan seeks, as we read here in Matthew chapter 4. I'll give you all these kingdoms. And that would indicate he has a tremendous amount of influence in the world, all these great kingdoms. says directly here and in other places of the New Testament that he does have dominion. But it leaves you with the impression that he has dominion over the entire earth, over the universe, over everything. That he's sovereign. And he's not. Well, the kingdoms of this world are the kingdoms of this world anyway. It's not the kingdom of God. Jesus makes that plain in his teachings. If you want to give the glory to Satan, and I know that you don't, but if you want to give the glory to Satan, keep giving him the attributes that belong only to God. 
In your speech, we could have 50 people testify in a meeting and all of them saying the devil was here when he was also at your house and my house and the other house. And we make him omnipresent. Only God is omnipresent. And you say, well, Satan has a lot of cohorts. Demons, of course. So no matter how you look at it, it's a deception, whether in the subconscious mind of the Christian, certainly it wouldn't be intentional, not in an intelligent fashion, to transfer to Satan the attributes that belong only to God. And if you do that, whether it's an intentional thing or not, you are unintentionally giving glory to Satan, which is, again, an act of worship. Yeah, I know you don't want to worship Satan. You're following Christ. But we need the knowledge of this book, the Bible, where God not only explains things that can be known from the natural, let's say the natural man, things that can be known that are self-evident, but the things that are revealed about God. Here, you must know this book. Notice in this here, that every time Satan came to Jesus, he had three words. It is written. And you will find this expression, it is written, or what saith the scriptures, or as the scripture saith, particularly in the New Testament, referring to the writings of the Old and also the writings of the Apostles, because we are a people of the book, as I've pointed out to you before. We are a people who look to this book to get our guidance and to learn the truth about God. And then, therefore, sometimes simply by default, we learn the truth about Satan. If you were to ask yourself today this question, am I actually glorifying Satan in my walk? I don't know if you'd be able to come up with the answer right away until I go through some of these examples. Then you may find that you've been giving more glory to Satan than you have been to God alone. Not something that you want. A man was writing in Moody Monthly several years ago about an event that he saw at the zoo. And what he saw at the cage of a wildcat was a man who came in through a side door while he was standing there at the front of the cage. The man came in, and the only thing he had in his hand was a broom. He shuffled his way into the cage and just began just cleaning, just sweeping. He was cleaning out the cage of the wildcat. Well, at a certain point in time, as the wildcat was over here in the corner where the maintenance man wanted to clean, he just poked him with the broom, and he just hissed at the maintenance man, and he moved to another corner, the cat, I mean. And this was astonishing to this man as he's watching this. So he said to the man as he was in the cage, you must be awful brave. And he said, no, not awful brave. And he said, well, then he must be tame. And he said, no, he's not tame. And as he examined it further, the man was curious to know how he could go in there with only a broom, push this animal around, a wild animal around. And this was the answer that the maintenance man gave. He said, you see, he's old and he ain't got no teeth. <laughs> we often supply Satan with the teeth to devour us. I can't do this. I can't do that. All of this is contradicts this book. And we supply Satan with teeth to give him a power he does not possess. Now, I'm not saying he's powerless. We know that he has power, but he's not all powerful. And in a word, Jesus defanged him death on the cross, the burial, the resurrection, everything that Christ was and is and is to come has taken the teeth out of Satan. Why then should you fear him? This man went into a wildcat's cage with a broom because he knew the cat was old and he was toothless. And you need to know, we read through many scriptures that we're not going to look at today. We have been delivered from the power of darkness into the kingdom of light and on and on. That's what this book says. And so you don't want to unintentionally, or just because, listen to me, just because your thinking is sloppy, to give glory to Satan or supply him with teeth when he doesn't have any. At least not for us. So number one, if you want to give glory to Satan, keep giving him the attributes that belong to God alone. Let me give you this verse. Isaiah 45, verses 5 and 6. God says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Want to glorify Satan? Keep talking about his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his sovereignty, and so on and so forth. All attributes he does not possess. Number two. 
Harbor your secret fears. Coddle them and pamper them and keep them. Secret fears. We know in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, that God has not given unto us the spirit of fear. So when fear arises in your heart, it's going to be one of two sources, maybe satanic. More often than not, it's coming from that what Nova talked about, the subconscious mind, which certainly does have a lot of power, things that we do unconsciously. It's something that is buried deep within the mind. This is why we read and hear that our brains have got to be washed with the word of God. We've got to wash it so thoroughly that it starts to seep into our unconscious and clean out all those things that have built up over years. If you want to give Satan the glory, harbor your secret fears. Coddle them like a child, like a baby, like an infant. Keep making excuses why you can't overcome them. When you should know that God has not given to us, to you, the spirit of fear. What I'm saying is that if the fear is there, and it is a temptation for all of us, realize that the source is not God. It's not this Christ. Why are you fearful, he says. Fear not, throughout the Bible, many times. Why are you afraid? And in essence, just to get down to this point, God is saying, I didn't give this to you. I did not give you this anxiety. And so many people deal with anxiety and anxieties and so on. And God is saying, I did not give this to you and I don't want you to have it. So why in the world would you want to coddle your fears and pamper your fears and make excuses that you can't overcome when we are told in the word that they're blessed that do overcome? More than that, our captain of our salvation expects us to overcome. Uh, we get away sometimes talking to one another with coddling and pampering our fears and anxieties. I think the media, once again, has a lot of influence in this area, and we buy into it. It's not that those things aren't happening. They are happening. But we are taught in the book not to fear the things that other people fear, because God has not given unto us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, a sound mind. So I ask the question again, why are you pampering and coddling those secret fears that you have? Someone has wisely come up with this observation that everybody has three lives. One is your public life, the second is your private life, and the third is your secret life. Many professing Christians secretly harbor these things and others, but I'll just concentrate on fear. Secretly harbor these things, afraid to die, which makes the song that we just sang a moment ago, make no sense at all. I can face tomorrow because he lives, because he's risen from the dead. When we really believe that, it takes away the fear of death, which is the worst that can really happen to us in this world. Why do you continue to coddle and to pamper and to harbor your secret faults and make an excuse for it when God says, I didn't give that to you, and I don't want you to have it? Job, now listen, this is real wisdom in connection to what I just mentioned. In verse 25 of Job chapter 3, the book says this. Listen, for this thing which I greatly feared has come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Satan took advantage. As we know, you know the book Job. He asked for permission to tempt Job, to test Job, to torment Job. And Job says, this was my secret fear. And Satan knew that somehow. And he said, let me have him. Let me take away his children and his business and turn his wife against him and turn his friends against him and all this. The thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. Do you understand that when you harbor these type of fears and anxieties in your life, that you're actually going to be more prone to the self-fulfilling prophecy? That it's going to be fulfilled. Here, let me share this with you. In the book, The Relaxation Revolution, scientist Herbert Benson and lawyer William Proctor, co-author of the book, write these words. Listen, the more you focus on your specific medical problem, the less power your expectation or belief will become, meaning for a good outcome. Listen, this is a Harvard scientist. Even a fleeting memory of unpleasant symptoms, such as pain, may overstimulate pain centers in the brain and cause pain to intensify. This process causes phantom pain in missing limbs. That is, if you lose an arm or a leg 
At times you may actually feel pain in that limb, even though the limb no longer exists. This is fascinating. People who have lost an arm can feel a pain in their right hand, though it's not even there. Because the brain is remembering pain that was there from the past and is reviving in the pain center. So you have this phenomenon known as phantom pain. And just like the maintenance man at the zoo who's pushing around ordinarily a terrifying animal with a broom is because he knows he's old and he has no teeth. Now again, the Bible says Satan basically has no teeth against you. But if you continue to coddle and pamper and make excuses for your weakness and your fear and all of this, not only are you contradicting the book and taking away the glory from God, you're incidentally or coincidentally glorifying Satan, supplying him with teeth he doesn't have, bringing torment to yourself. There's people that I, I meet them a lot. They like to blame everybody else for their problems, but Shakespeare wrote it well when he said, the problem, the fault rather, lies not in our stars, dear Brutus, but in ourselves. Continue to coddle and pamper your secret fears, and you're almost guaranteeing that they will come to pass. Except for the providence of God that says, no, I'm not going to let this come to pass. Except for that, God's stepping in. Science is saying, and the Bible is saying, and Job, that you are actually opening a door as you torment yourself to bring in Satan, demons, whoever, to further torment you with something that may never come to pass. Think of all the things you've worried about that never came to pass. And we call it anxiety. It never came to pass. But you're tormented by the thought that it's going to come to pass or it could come to pass or whatever comes to pass. And again, I'll point to the media. Well, most of these people don't know Christ anyway. And even if they did, their job is to tell you things as they are because that's what they're ordered to do by their superiors. And if you have been coddling and pampering your secret fears, then making an excuse for it in your weakness and in your trembling and in your shaking, you try to sound humble about it so people think you're humble. You're not humble. You're just afraid. You're just scared. Again, who isn't? I've been scared on many, many occasions. I'm just resolved not to let it dominate my life. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Isn't that what terrorism is all about? Do something really, really bad. Then you're afraid to fly or you're afraid to go here or there. That's what terrorism is. It's all about fear. Nigel Wright, in a book called The Satan Syndrome, wrote these words. Satan promises the best but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. Worship me, he says. Let's just interpolate here a little bit with the book. Let's say this figure is not Jesus, it's somebody else. He has a secret fear. And Satan will say, if you would just act this way and behave this way, contrary to this book, I'll deliver you from that fear. But when we first meet Satan in Genesis chapter 3, we meet him as one who is exceptionally subtle and not only a liar, but Jesus would go on to say the father of lies. He's not going to deliver on the promise to keep you safe, but Jesus will. Amen. Who are you going to worship? Well, here you're going to say God. And I agree. I'm pointing out the fact that you may be unintentionally giving glory to Satan in your life. That wasn't your intent, not my intent, but that's what happened. You know, all these, all these failures and different things we've seen in the church, from Catholicism down into the Pentecostal church and on and on and on, has not brought any glory to God. I know preachers try to twist it and manipulate it like a Rubik's Cube and make it how it all works for good. And in essence, all things do work for good, but it just brought shame and contempt and turn many people away from Christ and the Lord in glorifying Satan. Would you, if I asked you in person, right after this message this morning, you want to glorify Satan? Every single one of you is going to say no. But what if I could actually point out, because I know all of you so well, well most of you I know so well, So I've passed you for so long. When you do this, you're glorifying Satan. You are giving a testimony to the world that they don't want to follow Christ because they're looking at you. Now, we've we got to be humble people, and I found that just being humble and truthful about your life is a good way to relate to people, but we don't want to glorify Satan. Today is the day to nail your fear at the cross, fears, plural, and nail them on the cross and leave them there. 
There's no one on the face of this earth, no human being, that should be able to put a fear into your heart so that you would deny Christ, not as much as Peter did openly, but yet, again, sometimes openly. Because you're afraid of what people are going to say if you're one of those Christians. I told you about the man who once asked me if I was a fanatic. I told him, by the way, I never played defense. I said, well, that depends on how you define fanatic. If you define fanatic by some people who are not only fanatical, but false teachers, false prophets, and cult leaders, no. But if you define fanatic by someone who's dedicated to this book and to the God of this book, then I'm a fanatic. It just depends on how you define it. And in my head, I was saying, and quite frankly, I don't care how you define it. Why should I? Who's he? He's got his breath in his nostrils. That's it. That's what Jeremiah was told. Why fear those whose breath are in their nostrils? There's only one Jesus taught us to fear. Fear God. Only he has the power. Satan doesn't have the power. Only he has the power to cast body and soul in hell. He's the only one that we should have a fear. And the beauty of it is that when we fear the Lord properly, we find out that everything about him is merciful and good and pleasant. And that even in this dark world, even in this dark world, Jesus is still the light. He's still the light for those that have him as the light. There's no reason for you to be ashamed when someone asks you, are you a Christian? The answer should be emphatically yes. This has been my practice for 46 years. And I had that many times, especially when I was first born again. Are you this? you believe that? And when it was lined up with the book, I said, yeah, why? Got a problem with that? Told you about the man that threw some things in my direction. And for that day, God gave me so much grace, I didn't even think about it, which I'm glad I didn't. He was mad at me because I was giving the glory to God for my life. He was standing there saying, all that you've accomplished, which at that time wasn't a whole lot, all that you've accomplished and you give the glory to some God? And I said, yeah, that's right. That's what I do. And then some week or so later, he was asking me about this God. He claimed to be an atheist. I don't believe in God. Yeah, okay. Then in the coffee shop, he was asking me, well, tell me more about this God. (laughs) Then he said to me, well, maybe I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. So we made some improvement. A few more weeks went by, and he asked me, what time are your services? Where's your church? And that happens when, you know, strength knows strength, intelligence knows intelligence. When you don't back up, when you simply stand your ground, and when someone says, are you born again, you a Christian, you go to that church? You say, that's exactly where I go, and that's exactly who I am, and that's exactly what I do. What of it? Stop sneaking around in the shadows, afraid of your own shadow. I think there's nothing more denigrating to a man than that type of fear. So don't coddle and don't pamper your fears any longer. Get rid of them. Number three, if you want to give Satan all the glory and worship him, never forgive anybody. Harbor for the rest of your life a bitterness. As I've gotten older, those people who did do me harm, not physical, but... Otherwise, ministry-wise and otherwise, harm to my family. As time has gone on, after my anger settled, I actually begin to feel sorry for them, especially as years go by and I see the condition of their lives, the condition of their home and their marriage. I continue to realize that I have something they don't have. I got the fullness of the gospel. Never forgive anybody. That's the way to give Satan all the glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ. Now listen, this is verse 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now you should know the answer, those of you who have been with me for several years, many years. What is the greatest weapon Satan uses in a church to get it to be ineffective, to get it to be, um, well, to basically lose the battle? Is it adultery? Well, that's certainly bad. And thefts, lies, and I've seen all this in my ministry. The worst weapon Satan can use in a church is the tongue. Or to keep people harboring bitterness in their hearts, especially when it's towards the brethren. And that we read in the book of Hebrews, that that bitterness, like a cancer, is going to spread. Start spreading throughout the church. That's why the book of Proverbs says, cast out the scorner and contention shall cease. And on occasion, I've had to ask people to leave. It was always done in private. A few people didn't keep it private. In one case, I wrote a letter. 
Everybody thought, well, how stupid is he? He writes a letter about asking someone not to come back to church. It wasn't stupid at all, because I knew this person would tell everybody they met, and I knew that he would produce the letter, and so could I. So that when they said, did you write that letter? I said, yeah, here it is. You want to read it? Because I meant every single word of it. When my denomination wanted to dismiss me as a minister, I said, you can't. I quit. And one of the presbyters there at that time said, I got one burning question, one burning question, one burning question. I said, what's your burning question? Did you write all these emails? I said, look at the bottom. See my name? Yeah. It wasn't a secret. What you do in secret, you don't put in writing. What you put in writing, you want the whole world to read it. Number four, if you want to worship Satan, glorify Satan, make the Bible say what you want it to say instead of what it actually says. Jeremiah 23, verse 36 And the burden of the Lord shall ye mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden, for ye have perverted the words of the living God and the Lord of hosts, our God. Perverted. This book, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, But we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, Speak we in Christ. So we see two verses. Jeremiah, we see one in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul. That God's word can be twisted and bent and fashioned into a place of corruption. Where it's not actually what the book is saying. You've had it happen to you. And I've had it happen to me. If someone happens to say to me, did you say this? I say, well, "Not no. That wasn't the context. And the words are twisted. The words are bent. It's not what I was saying. And then maybe you get a chance to explain. What is much more subtle, read Genesis chapter 3, is a minister of reputation who brings people in because he's the expert in the word that's assumed. And he twists the text. Let's say on grace, for example, to imply, if not directly state, that it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter what you do, because it's all by grace anyway. Well, that's clearly not the case when we examine the Bible. To make the text say that God wants you wealthy. God wants every single one of you here to be a millionaire, a multimillionaire. Then we read in 2 Timothy, for the love of money is the root of all evil. And the Apostle Paul says, and many have, I'll just interpolate here again and translate, they have denied the faith, they've twisted the faith. They've corrupted the word of God. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. But people who are charismatic, intelligent, personable, you assume that they have an expertise in the Bible, can make it sound truthful. And in that case, Satan is just as happy with that as a direct contradiction from an atheist. This is a perversion of what this book actually states. That's why for all of my ministry, 46 years now, I've always told the people that I've pastored, read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Read the Bible for yourself. Read it, and then you're going to know if the people you're listening to, or even your pastor here, that's exactly what the Bible says. Listen to the strategy of Satan with unbelievers. Number one, he blinds the minds of the unregenerate, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Snatches away the good seed of the word in Matthew 13.19. Lulls the unbeliever into a false sense of security, Luke 11.21. Lays snares for the unwary in 2 Timothy 2.25 and 26. He masquerades as an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11, 13, and 14. Deceives those whose minds are not subject to the word of truth in Revelation 12, 9. And he mixes the truth with error. That's the most dangerous. Matthew 13, 25 to 28. When I want to feed my dog something every so often that he just, you know, medicine that he won't eat, you put it in a piece of meat. You wrap it up. You disguise it. He thinks he's eating only the meat. He's not. He's taking his medicine to boot. Satan's got all these things in his tackle box. When you bite down on it, before you know it, you're hooked. You're hooked. But what are Satan's strategies with believers? Number one, annihilate the church or neutralize its witness from the inside. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 6. Persecution, smother its witness by giving it popularity. That's an interesting one. Often in years past, whenever I went to a seminar pastor's seminar, how to grow churches, how to take your city, how to take your country, how to take the world. Well, first of all, you never see a pastor that's in a small church, you know, a little guy. They're always mega church. We opened up in January, and in February, we had 10,000 people. And you're sitting there like, wow. 
And many pastors are saying, what am I doing wrong? Well, for the case of the pastor who's true to the book, you're not doing anything wrong. Remember, there's a difference between muscle mass growing and being swollen. You can measure your knee and say, well, my knee is 12 inches, and I measure my knee, and it's only nine. But yours is swollen. Mine's not. Size of a church is not the indication of how close it is to Christ. It's our adherence to the book. Disturb the unity of the church by creating discord and division. I'm not going to say this. Uh, I, I don't want you to think about it too much. But we all go to church and find someone in the church we don't care for. Personality, you know, things about them, can't relate to them, and on and on. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you have a small, tiny crack in the unity of the church. But let me ask you this question. If that's your issue, have you set yourself up as the judge as to who's to be saved and who's not to be saved? And let me go further. Because the church is small doesn't mean it's spiritual. You ever notice how some people will actually either say or imply, I don't want any more people in the church. It's getting too big. And then you ask about their unsaved husband, wife, child. Think we should make room for them? Oh, yeah. So it's okay for your son, your daughter, your wife, your husband. We've got to find a seat for them. But for the rest, you just made yourself a judge as to who's to be saved and who's not to be saved. So again, what small or large is not an indication. It's adhering to the gospel. Whosoever will, whosoever will come. That's the truth. Satan will disturb the unity of the church by creating discord and division, and then subvert the church through apostasy and heresy. We talk about that quite a lot, and we know that is what's going on. And so, never forgive anybody. And in this way, you will glorify Satan instead of God. Oh, and keep this in mind, too. He will have mercy that has shown mercy. But he has shown no mercy shall be judged without mercy. But I want to add one thing that I've said in the past. I've actually been challenged by people. When people ask me, do I forgive? The answer is sure, but I don't forget. A guy comes and shoots me in the shoulder. <laughs> I'm in the emergency room. They tell me about his past. He's this and he's that and he's delusional and all that. Okay, and I survived, but he still has a gun. I can forgive him without forgetting that he still has a gun. So when someone is a gossip, wicked, or whatever, you can release them into the hands of God, which is how I practice it. But I don't forget that this person is malicious. He's not like the wildcat with no teeth. He has teeth, or she. And so in that respect, you have to be wise to know, not casting your pearls before swine. There are some swine out there. Sixth, or fifth rather, speak of the darkness. Continue to speak of the darkness. It's a dark world. It's a terrible world to live in. It's the terrible times we live in. And this is true. But speak more about that than Jesus. Speak more about that than the book. Speak more about that than the power of God, which I've already covered. Psalm 103, verse 19. The Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Who's sovereign? It's not Satan. It's not the President of the United States. Amen. That we know. But it's not anyone in any country of Russia or the Ukraine or China. They are not controlling the destiny of the earth, universe. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The people and they that dwell therein. It's God himself who is sovereign, absolutely sovereign. And the more that you accept the sovereignty of God, the more peaceful you will become. Because we all go through trials and we all go through difficult temptations and so forth. But so often, all we talk about is Satan. Satan this, Satan that, and the devil this. Well, there's a place for that. But I would say to you, a much smaller place than the sovereignty of God, and the power of God, and the promises of God. Deliver us from evil. This is a problem here in America, and I won't go through the statistics for want of time. Barna, the research group, Christian research group, some years ago, asked a church congregation just like this one here, and the question was, do you believe Satan is a real being or just a symbol of evil? Strongly agree, agree, disagree. The majority of people in the end, born again, Bible teaching churches, believe that Satan is just a symbol. In the end of the survey, 60% of American Christians born again believe Satan is just a symbol. Logic will tell us this. If Jesus kept dealing with Satan, talking to him, receiving talks from him. We see him filling Judas and on and on and on. If Jesus encountered him as a real person, then he's a real person. 
And right now, the Bible says he's looking through this little congregation right now, finding out who he can devour. At this moment, you say, I would never deny Christ. Exactly what Peter said. Because in every crowd where there's a Jesus, there's a Judas. There's a traitor. There's a coward. There's someone that's going to turn away when the going gets rough. The rough get going, but they go out the door. And they find some comfortable place, which is exactly what Satan wants. Where they can hear what they want to hear. The tickling of the ears, a sign of the end times as well. Continue to talk about the darkness, how dark it is. Oh, it's dark, it's dark. Oh, it's really dark, it's dark. We know it's dark. But thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And as long as you follow me, you will not walk in darkness. Remember this, in the sovereignty of God. When the judgments came upon the entire nation of Egypt, one city had no judgments, Goshen. That's the power of God who's able to protect a city, which of course was where the Jews lived, or he can protect an individual. I gave you this last week, a thousand shall fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but it will not come nigh thee, it will not come near you. God is able to divide in this respect, Lot and his wife, and on and on. Don't talk about the darkness, talk about the light. That's what we're called to do. I want you to listen to this, if I can get through this. Here was a woman who belonged to a charismatic Pentecostal church, where the biggest problem that we face is the voices. You see on this pulpit here, it's surround emblem. After 9-11, we had a prayer meeting. Some people came, they were guests, and that was great, that was fine. And one woman came in, and some people believed her to be like a prophetess. And she's walking down the hall and came up to the pulpit with two or three other people that she was with. And she just started to say, oh, the circle, the circle, the circle, the circle. She fell down. They fell down. But because I've been around it for so long, both the Bible and mental illness, this lady was psychotic. But here's the thing. There's no discernment in the church today. People say all kinds of stuff. And, well, God told me about this. I just heard this a few months ago from a pastor. Remember, it was prophesied on him. I didn't want to contradict him. I just wasn't in the mood. I just wanted to eat my lunch and go. But in my mind, I'm saying, well, what's all this prophecy stuff? Is it in the book? Sure, yes. But how do we contradict the book saying we're prophesying, then our lives don't match up? That's what made me think many, many years ago. There's something not right with this picture. Anyway, we have all these voices. Listen to what she wrote in a letter to the new church that she went to. She said this, You know, we lived all of our life in this movement, and one thing dominates that movement, and that is Satan is sovereign. If you get sick, it was the devil. If your child gets sick, it was the devil. The devil made your child sick. Even if your child dies, somehow Satan got the victory. If your spouse, your husband, your wife gets cancer, that's the devil in that. If you had an accident, the devil did that. If you lost your job, the devil did that. If things didn't go the way you wanted them to go in your company or your family, you wound up with a loss or a divorce, the devil did all of that. The devil has to be bound. And so you have to learn these formulas because you have to bind the devil or he's really going to control everything in your life. The devil dominates everything. She's speaking of the church she left. He is assisted by this massive force of demons, which also have to be dealt with. And you've got to do everything you can to try to overcome these spiritual powers. And they are invisible and they are fast. This part is true. And are powerful. And they are really impossible for you to deal with on a permanent basis. So it is ongoing, an incessant struggle. She said, we lived our whole lives thinking that everything that went wrong in the entire universe was basically because of the devil. The devil is really sovereign in everything, and even God, along with us, is really struggling like crazy to overcome that devil. Now listen real carefully to what fruit that type of teaching produced in this woman and in others. Listen, I lived with heart palpitations, panic attacks, anxiety, frightening dreams, waking up in the middle of the night terrified that the devil might be doing something to my child while he's lying in his bed, just living in this constant terror of what Satan was doing, that when the wrong guy gets elected, Satan put him there. Then when the society goes a certain direction, it's all under the control of Satan. Satan is really the sovereign of everything, and it's really difficult to get control of him. Even God is up there, wringing his hands, trying to get control of this deal. I live with that fear and that terror because I took my church seriously. When you begin to take God and his word seriously, you read through the Old Testament, and you see that God is sovereign over all. He's controlling everything. You see that Satan is a player. That's obvious. But he's not holding the major role he wants you to think that he's holding. God holds that. God holds everything in his hands. God holds everything in his hands. So that we can be free from our fears and free from our anxieties and free from our depressions. 
It's not that we won't experience it. We've talked about that. But we can endure and overcome. Endure and overcome. And overcome. Not live in that condition. Overcome it. That's a testimony. If I weighed 355 pounds, they wouldn't be asking me to go on a commercial and talk about what amazing changes this pill has made. I'm fat and I stayed fat. So what they do is they find somebody, whether they Photoshop it or use computer enhanced technology and take the 355 pound person and make them 155 pounds. That's all because of this one little pill that you can take and weigh 155 pounds. That's what people want. Not a six pack, but an eight pack, 12 pack. That's why they're buying all these supplements and buying all these things because you can get it in 10 minutes a day. It's all marketing and much of it is a lie. And that's exactly what Satan does. He markets his products. All these things I feared, Job said, is now come upon me. Number six would be obvious. I won't discuss it. You want to give Satan the glory? Just openly disregard what this book says when you do read it. Just disregard it. It says flee from fornication. Commit fornication. Girl gets pregnant. Just have an abortion. It's easy. Because all these things have consequences. And all these things have rewards. Lastly, live by your own wisdom rather than God's. This is Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Verse 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. God promises physical health. We can say the health of the brain as well. That's physical. And the mind and the spirit by taking heed and not leaning to our own wisdom. But doing what the book says to do. Henry Ford the great inventor had a problem with the electrical system in one of his plants, the generators in particular. So he called in his genius, Charles Steinmetz, to come and examine the problem, what happened. Steinmetz went in there, looked at the generators, fiddled around for a few hours, threw the switch, whoosh, everything came on. Nobody else could figure it out. Finally, Mr. Ford got a bill for $10,000. And Ford, who apparently was a bit tight-fisted, he was wondering, what's this $10,000? He's you know, breaking it down. He says, well, I'm charging you $10 for fiddling with the generators. I'm charging you $9,900 to know where to fiddle. You see, sometimes we're trying to fix things in our lives, and we're not looking in the right place for direction. Like prayer, like obedience to God, like the unwillingness or the discomfort of not having your friends walk with you with the Lord or your family. But you've got to be willing to live with that discomfort and follow the directions of the Lord to see the results. Otherwise, you won't see them. You'll hear people like me talk about them, but you won't believe it. You'll think it's all mythological and, you know, they attribute so much of us as being basically morons. Basically, those who do not believe in the Bible were mitigated, think that we are just dumb, simple folk. I'm not dumb. I may be simple, but I'm not dumb. I don't know everything about the Bible, but I know this much, it works. I know God has delivered me from all my fears, and not that I'm not tempted, it's just that I just don't pay attention to the temptation, and I refuse to give in, I refuse to give up, I refuse to stop. These are all suggestions, and you can come up with your own, of how we give the devil glory in an unintentional way, instead of giving God the glory. We could talk about doctor's reports, and we could talk about so many, many things. Listen to this. A wise man learns by the experience of others. An ordinary man learns by his own experience. A fool learns by nobody's experience. So I'll finish with this. How do we overcome Satan? Many, many verses, and you've heard them many, many times. The blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. It's got to be a testimony. But I read somewhere, and I checked up on it, and apparently it's true. Crows, we have them all over the place here. And every one of them are going to hell, as you know. There are pests, especially around here. And then you see the majesty. Recently, they're returning around here the last few years. You see an American eagle, or an eagle. And I've seen them going down here in the Mohawk River three at a time. It's flying in formation, if you would. How in the world is a crow going to attack an eagle? But they do. Crows attack eagles. What does the eagle do to overcome, to make the hunter become the hunted? This is what they do. As the crow attacks the eagle, the eagle takes off, flying higher and higher and higher and higher, so the crow cannot stand the altitude. They cannot stand the elevation of the eagle. 
you and I will get rid of Satan in the sense of his torments, not his presence, but his torments, by raising this book higher and higher and higher in our thinking. Right here. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Psalm 103, forget not all of his benefits, and on and on and on. When we elevate the word of God against Satan and his cohorts, wherever they may be, we defeat them because Christ has taken away their teeth. Christ is coming, and never have I been more committed, and I've been committed my entire life, but I've never been more committed to this book and to getting rid of distractions so when Christ comes, I will be found in a place where I'm prepared for his coming. Come up with your own ideas of how Satan is glorified in your life unintentionally. But the answer will always be, what's contained in this book is the way that you glorify God. And so, just for a moment, I want you to consider ways that you're glorifying Satan instead of God. And maybe during the message it was pointed out to you by the Holy Spirit, it could be some things that I named, and that was a short list, a short, short list. But we're designed to glorify God. In any case, perhaps you already know in what form or fashion been unintentionally, that's the key word here, unintentionally, given the glory to Satan. And then again, if you don't know, it's always the answer will be coming back to this book and what it says. But let's pray. As the time gets closer and the coming of Christ draws nearer, we will find ourselves in a place giving glory to God. So Father, we come before you this morning and we bless your mighty name. Help us not to be unintentionally giving glory to Satan with our lives. Things we do that are just clearly wrong. Or things that we do and we didn't even see them. We just came from the subconscious. And your word will expose it. Help us, God, to line ourselves up with your word and give you all the glory. Give you all the honor. Give you all the praise. Fill your people with the Holy Spirit. Help us to look for the voice of God in the book, in the Bible. And then you'll guide us into all truth. And we'll be able to discern your voice on a day-to-day basis in our lives. We bless you and we praise you today, Father God. And we trust you for the truth. You are the Lord and there is none other. There's no other God. There's no other being. You are the uncreated being of the universe. And no one and nothing that you have created, including Satan, could ever overthrow you. We bless your name. We praise your name for these things. Father, we ask you to bless the food and the fellowship we're about to have. Remind us today and every day to love you with all the heart, all the soul, all the mind, and all the strength, and also to love one another. Bless our time together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.